Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're now in Lesson 58. And last time we were in Chapter 38, and so we're going to continue from that point. We're in verse 10 now. We will read, Thus says the Eternal God, and mind you, we're speaking about the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, the one that became known as the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the anointed Messiah. So we're talking about the same person, and he's going to reveal in his own words, and this under the words of men, or the words of a Jew, or the words of anybody else, but the words of God himself, the one that became Jesus Christ, the Savior, who's speaking here, so it's important to look at it from his point of view. And what he's saying, and what we've been taught, may seem to be quite a bit different. And so, in verse 10, we read, Thus says the eternal God, and of course, as you're all well aware, Many of those who had no background, no knowledge, no understanding, who thought that they were, you know, servants of Jesus Christ, followers of Christ, they called themselves Christians, they were so mixed up that they thought that the God of Israel was the God of the Old Testament, and he was the Father, and so they didn't want to have anything uh, to do with him. And the God of the New Testament, is uh, that's the way they thought, was Jesus Christ. And so they sort of had uh, two-God uh, philosophy or theology. You know, the old God is for Israel, for the Jews, and the new God is for us, the God of grace and of love. Well, that shows you an awful lot of the, uh, the vomit that God is talking about and the Babylonian system that God is talking about, and that his people are, to a large degree, much drenched in it without even realizing how much of that is still in them, and they brought it with them. And so it's important to, as we read the scriptures, to see it from God's point of view, for the first time, maybe we've never seen it that way, because we've been taught from youth all kind of lies, and then God called us, and we came to the knowledge of the truth, and we learned many things, and we've unlearned others, and yet we still kept quite a bit of the old religion in us, and that colors our perception and understanding, and God calls it plainly vomit, and he wants us to throw it up and worship him only in truth and in spirit. So let's constantly think about it and read it and understand it from the mouth of the Savior himself. For he is the one that is speaking to us all the time. Verse 10. Thus says the eternal God, Yehovah Elohim. On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. Speaking about Gog and Magog. You know, this is the story that we began last time. Chapter 38. The, the rest of the nations of the earth the eastern hordes that had not known God, that were not there around Jerusalem at his coming, at the coming of the Savior, the Maker, and so he dealt with those who came there, who were basically Europeans, and now he's dealing with the people of the East, that they too may know his power and might, and he's going to deal with them the way he dealt with Pharaoh, so that he may show his glory and his might throughout all the earth. And that's the story that we are reading here. And so this is what God is saying to him. And you will say, verse 11, I will go up against the land unwalled, of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. And that's a state of affairs that is going to be in the future. At the coming of the Messiah, no more crying, no more fear. Verse 12, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited. And against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. And this is the fate of the church of God. That is a physical part of it. 
And always remember, we've been taught, you know, at false concept that the Church of God is only a spiritual organism, and that was a major lie. And so people were deceived by it. And they thought from now on, there is no such a thing as Israel anymore. Now we are all equal in Christ. People never understood what the apostles were talking about, because they had no background to what they were talking about. And now we are Jews, and we are Gentiles, and we are this, and we are that, and we are everything, and that's what the church is all about. And God makes it very plain. No, that's not what the church is all about. church is always Israel, and then the few that God grafts from the nations, only the few individuals here and there, and he grafts them as wild olive branches into the trunk that he is. But he brings them into the commonwealth of Israel. So it's always Israel. That's a wife. That's a church. And then a few others that are being grafted into it. And for 2,000 years, the deception has been taught that the story is totally different. And this is what we've been brought up with. And so we came into the knowledge of the truth with that lies still very deeply entrenched in us. And with that in mind, we did whatever we did, whatever work we did, uh, being under deception to a large degree without even understanding it. And God makes it very plain. His people are the nation of Israel, and some of them are going to be spirit beings that is coming, because he's, he's called them before that and prepared them, just like all those that he did before, the prophets, the saints, and the men of old and the women of old who were of faith, and then the majority of them are still physical human beings, and that's a part of the church. The majority of the church is physical, and then he's going to give them his Holy Spirit, pour his Spirit upon all flesh, and he's speaking about his house of Israel. And then they shall know him and have a relationship with him. They will all enter into the marriage, and a part of them will be spirit beings, and the majority physical beings. And that's what he's talking about. And only from that point of, uh, of view you can understand the entirety of the story, because that's the basic story that God tells us, you know, from his own mouth, not the mouth of the false prophets. And so these people, uh, the hordes of the East, are coming against the church of God, against the people of God, against the land of God, the wife of God. Well, we've been brought back from captivity. And uh, obviously they're not going to fight spirit beings. They cannot fight spirit beings. So they're coming after the, the visible church that is mostly physical still, human beings. Now many of them have the Holy Spirit. And that's speaking only about the adults, not children. And others are still coming along. Verse 13. And so he's giving us an idea about the people that are, that are coming against his nation, his people, his wife. Verse 13, Sheba, Didam, the merchants, speaking about some of the Arab nations, Didam and Sheba, that's uh, Arab nations, uh, of Tarshish, mer merchants of Tarshish, uh, that's Spain. And all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold? Uh, in other words, uh, the people of Sheba and Jadan and the merchants of Tarshish, in other words, people from the area, are going to tell this Gog and Magog, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? In other words, are you, are you coming to, uh, to fight the church of God, the people of God, that God brought back, you know, his own people, his own nation? In other words, that's foolish. What are you doing? Verse 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the eternal God on, uh, God on that day, When my people Israel, see, my people, my church, my wife, dwell safely, will you not know it? 
Verse 15, Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company, and a mighty army. You will come against my people. God will constantly repeat that. My people. That's my people. That's my chosen. That's my wife. And people don't get the message when they read it. Because they've been deceived to believe that the church, the church, you know, the people of God, the life, the wife of God, the lamb, of, you know, the lamb's bride is a spiritual organism and that it's coming, they're going to be spirit beings. That's total confusion. Some of them are going to be spirit beings, but the majority are still physical, yet they're all the church, they're all the wife, they're all entering into the marriage. Verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land. So God is the one in charge of that, so that the nations may know me. That's the reason why he brings him into his land. When I am hallowed or sanctified in you, O God, before their eyes. In other words, when I bring, it, bring you to the land and destroy you, then all the nations of the earth will know. Because now... That's still, you know, don't know. That's the beginning of the millennium. So this is the process by which Christ is going to subdue all nations of the earth. You know, first he takes care of the Babylonian system and wipes out their armies and the remnant he sends all over the earth to bring back his people Israel and to be ministers of righteousness, to declare his glory. And then he's now going to deal with the East and all the billions, the teeming billions of them, and he's going to show them who is the God of the earth. Verse 17, and uh, that says the Lord God, the eternal God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel? And here in particular Ezekiel. And later on you see it also in the, by the prophet John, you know, in the book of Revelation, the apostle and prophet John, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them. So he's telling him, I planned it a long time ago, and I told my prophets all about it, and my people knew about it. Yet some of them get confused and uh, don't know which is which. And not knowing about the second resurrection, especially in the Jewish community, they, uh, they cannot understand uh, exactly when and what and all that. And others who did understand about the book of Revelation, at least a measure of it, they too got confused. Uh, not knowing, is it in the beginning of the millennium, is it at the end? Well, these are two events. Verse 18, and it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the, the eternal God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And it's not that he's going to destroy the land of Israel. That's not what he's talking about. But he's going to, uh, he's going to destroy it. In essence, the armies that are coming against Israel and the, in the territory where they will be, this is when they are going to feel the earthquake and be devastated by it. And he's going to allow his people, Israel, also to have a little feeling of it too, so that we know what their God is doing. Verse 20, So that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Now you read about that, that kind of an earthquake in uh, Revelation that will devastate the whole earth. And that's around the same time. Verse 21, And I will call for the sword against God throughout all my mountains, that is, all my, my, uh, my kingdom, 
uh, the kingdom uh, that is of Israel, the nations of Israel, the mountains of Israel, says the eternal God, every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed, and I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. And that, that's, I will magnify myself, this is Jesus Christ speaking, you know, this is the wrath of the Lamb, a part of it, and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Eternal. You see, then they will know who is the Savior, who is the Redeemer, who is the Messiah of Israel, who is the husband of Israel, and who? His people also. Because, obviously, an awful lot of them are not going to accept the coming Messiah and the Savior and the, the restoration of his land, of his people, of his church. And I'm going to accept that burden, uh, that yoke, you know. Uh, they would say, well, we don't want to have anything to do with that. We're going to go against you and fight you. Obviously, they're going to be totally confused. They wouldn't know what they're fighting against, you know. But in the last many, 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 many years, we've had this concept of aliens from outer space and stuff. You know, science uh, fiction and all that, so an awful lot of people are confused. They really don't know what they're going to be fighting. But God is telling us long in advance. He's going to bring them against his own nation, his own wife, his own people, and then he's going to butcher them there, around that area, as he's going to do with the first army of the Europeans. The power of the beast, that is. And that's not talking about the children of Israel in that land, in Europe, that is. And then God continues the story, uh, in chapter 39, verse 1 and 2, And you, son of man, prophesy against God and say, Thus says the eternal God, Behold, I am against you, O God, the prince of Ash, Meshach, and Tubal. So specifying who, who those nations are, the hordes of the East, uh, Eastern uh, Europe, uh, Russian people, the Chinese, the Orientals, India, and all those nations in the area. Verse 2, And I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up, from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Uh, verse 3, Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. In other words, I'm going just to bring your utter destruction. And uh, God makes it very plain what he's going to do with his people. And then the next few verses, he's talking more about the war that he's going to bring... Uh, uh, on him, verse 7, he says, So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am the Eternal, the Holy One of Israel. So even if God is on people, this war against, against God and Magog is a witness also to them. And God is reminding them what they've done in the past. And he doesn't want them to ever lose that fear of him and profane his holy name again. And so that's a part of the witness, just like he brought all those plagues on Egypt so that his people also would know that he is God. Because the majority of the Israelites were deep down into the idolatry and the darkness of Egypt. And so an awful lot of the people of Israel today are totally deep into the Babylonian system, a part of it, believing in it, proponents of it, teaching its lies throughout the whole earth. And even though they publish the Bible and, you know, proclaim it all around the earth and they send the missionaries everywhere, along with it, they bring all the vomit of the, the Revelation 17 churches and teach it to all nations. And many of us who came out of it brought it with us and are not even aware of it. 
And that's why we don't really know who and what is the true church of God. And some other doctrines that we're confused about because of that. And so God says uh, uh, about his people, the people of Israel, who are his people, that he's going to bring punishment on Gog and Magog so that his own people would not profane his holy name anymore. And then all the nations, including Israel, shall know that I am the eternal, the holy one of Israel. And that's very interesting that even after he brought them out of the, all the lands of the earth, some of them still have a lot of problems understanding and comprehending because of the depth of that deception that they were into, just like when they came out of Egypt. And they still need a little bit more reminders of who the true God is and what is his religion. And verse 8, Surely it is coming, and it shall be done, says the eternal God. This is the day of which I have spoken. We're talking about 2,600 years ago. Verse 9, Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and sit on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the butlers and the bows and arrows and the javelins and so forth. They're going to destroy uh, all the whatever weapons they bring with them. Apparently, they're the kind of weapons that you can burn and use for fire. And uh, this is, in essence, going to be a job of the, of the children of Israel. And verse 11, and I will come to it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel. It's interesting that God is going to actually bury all the enemies there, right there, near the land of Israel. Obviously not inside the territory of Israel, but on the outskirts of it, on the borders. And then when they're resurrected, you can see when they're resurrected, when they come up in the second resurrection, they're right there, Gog and Magog, right there, where they were buried. And so when you go to Revelation, you read about Gog and Magog coming and encompassing the camp of the saints, that is, again, the people of Israel. Many of them would be exactly the same very people who were put to death a thousand years earlier. And now because Satan comes and poisons their minds and hearts, they're ready to go to battle again. A very interesting phenomena that is happening here. And so... Verse 11, it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valleys of those who pass by east of the sea. So it will be east of the Dead Sea. And in other words, territory of Jordan. It will be, uh, and it will obstruct travelers because, they, because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. In other words, when people come over to the land of Israel, they're going to have to go around that area, the cemetery, whatever where Gog and Magog is uh, buried. And then verse 12, for seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Because the dead bodies are going to be everywhere and the land is going to be polluted because of that. And indeed, verse 13, all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the eternal God. So God is going to make his people so they can have a witness of what he did for them all of them go and bury the enemy, which are going to be numbering by, by the millions. And so the whole nation is going to get that job. You go bury the dead, you know, cleanse the land. In the process, you're going to see what God had done to deliver you. So you will know who your God is and not have second doubts anymore. So apparently he's not still too convinced about their faith and about their uh, obedience to him and about their convictions. And so he's giving them another reminder of that. And verse 14, they will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. 
So for seven months they're going to bury them and then the searching party is going to go all around the land wherever they see a dead body. They're going to put a sign there and later on somebody is going to come and bury them. And uh, at the end of verse 15 we read that they, the place where they're going to bury them is going to be a valley and this is it's going to be called Valley of Hamon Gog. Hamon means the, the many of God. Many, that's in Hebrew, Hamon. And the name of the city so there's going to be a city nearby there. I don't know why. But verse 16, the name of the city will also be Hamonah. That's the, mask, the feminine of Hamon. Hamon is many. And Hamonah is just in the, in the feminine term uh, for uh, Hamon. And uh, basically means multitude, many. And they shall cleanse the land. And uh, verse 17, As for you, son of man, thus says the eternal God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal. And that's basically uh, all the birds that will come that God is going to bring over there to eat basically the dead bodies. And God is going to destroy uh, all the remnants of that, of that army. And then in verse 21, and I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. Verse 22. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the eternal their God from that day forward. So it's a witness to his own people too. We're still not to convince in spite of all that they went through, you would think by now they should be totally convinced they've been brought back from captivity. And yet you see how deep is that deception? That is so deep in us that even when God calls us, we still have a problem understanding and knowing who God is. We think we do. That's because the deception that is in us, the vomit that is in us, the false doctrines that are in us are clouding the issue are darkening our eyes and we don't see exactly God for what He is. And that's the reason why people believed all these lies about the Church of God, about the people of God, about the Israel of God, and many other doctrines that He taught, which people think are very strange, or old stuff, not applicable to us. And then in verse 23, verse 22, He says about the house of Israel, the house of Israel they're going to know then, verse 23, and the Gentiles, that is the nations, the rest of the nations, you know, in contrast to Israel, his people, his church, his wife. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. And he's talking about the iniquity uh, and uh, the captivity of the trouble of Jacob, the last captivity. And God says that his people, Israel, Many of them think they're religious, are church, you know, they're church goers, they're Christians and all that. And God regards them in men, or as men of iniquity, not of men of righteousness. And of course, many of them are not religious and uh, disobedient to God, you know, have nothing to do with His law, including many of those who are in Judah. The majority of them, actually, have uh, very little to do with the religion of God, couldn't care less about it. So all of Israel... You know, the religious and the non-religious. As far as God is concerned, there's an awful lot of iniquity in them. And so he said, the nations also will know that the Gentiles, verse 23, shall know that the hands of Israel went into captivity. That is all of them. 
for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me. Many of them think that they are, but God says, no, you are not. You know, many shall come to me in that, in that time. He, he told his people when he came in the flesh, and shall say, Lord, Lord. And God will tell them, I don't even know you. You're lawless people. How can you call me Lord and then you hate my law, you hate my Torah? And so, that's what God thinks about them. That's what he's going to say here. Because they were unfaithful to me, therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. That is, many of them did. Verse 24. According to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. And the people who believe that they are righteous and that they are good and that they are right and all that, just like the Pharisee that came to the temple and thought he was a righteous man, he's doing this, he's doing that. And God said, no, you are not. You are a hypocrite. You see, the lips are always singing my praise, God says, but the heart is far from me. And that's the way he looks at his people. And we should not be in that category. Verse 25, therefore thus says the eternal God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name. So, speaking in, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the bringing back of all the nation of Israel, all the house of Israel, because that's his wife, that's his people. He died for them. He's going to remarry them. And some of them will be spirit beings and the grafted ones among them, but the majority will not. And that's the reason you're going to now read throughout the rest of the chapters what kind of a life they're going to have, what kind of laws they're going to obey. What is the constitution of Israel? A lot of people go to the New Testament and then they see that a lot of things are not mentioned that were mentioned in what they call the Old Testament and they say, well, I guess that's not applicable in the New Testament because it's not mentioned here. Some think about the Sabbath, about holidays, about this and that, something about uh, many other laws and some don't know how to govern the church because the civil Christ didn't speak much about the church because they think the church is a total different entity not knowing the whole story that it's all one body. God doesn't have to repeat his law many times. He mentions few things here and there, but he made it very plain. Don't think that I came to destroy the Torah or the prophets. That should have told us what kind of government, what kind of laws, what kind of constitution, what things are applicable, what things are not. We don't need to read it all over again, the New Testament, and because it's not mentioned, we shouldn't think, well, that's not applicable to us, that's to the other church. What a deception. And so God says, Verse 25, therefore, thus says the eternal God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. As Paul said, all of Israel are going to be saved. Don't ever get this idea that God rejected his people, his church, his wife. That was a lie that was begun to be spread among uh, the, the grafted, the wild olive branches, you know, uh, that God was calling among the nations from the Gentiles into the commonwealth of Israel. They began to think that. And, you know, the children of Israel didn't think that way. The churches of, Jude of Judea didn't think that way. The Jewish community that were uh, basically the majority of the church, they didn't think that way. But the Gentiles who were ignorant, who had no background, no context, never knew the story, they began, began to, to uh, spread up this kind of lies. And pretty soon, since they became the majority, that became the norm. And that became the truth. And many of us came out of it and brought some of it with us. And that's why we're still infected 
buy it, and God tells us, come out of Babylon. You've been there too long. You're so much tainted by it, you have to totally come out of it. And only by the washing of the word you can do it. That means read the book for what it says, not for what people say that it says, from the beginning until the end. Then you shall be able to know what is true and what is not, what is holy, what is profane. And so God says, and I will be jealous for my holy name. The end of verse 25 and verse 26. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me. If many of them say, well, we're born again Christians. We're faithful to you. God says, no, you're not. You're lawless people. And when they fell, dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. And verse 27, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed that sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the eternal their God. They will know that I am the Messiah, I am the Redeemer. And both houses of Judah and Israel are confused about it. And the majority of them are not even religious to begin with, and those who are religious, the majority of them are in ignorance in many areas. And so, verse 28, then they shall know that I am the eternal, their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations. And it's not because of conspiracy by this nation or that nation or United Nation or this president or whatever it may be and all this foolishness that goes around among men who call themselves people of God. God is the one doing the whole thing and too many people are blind and they can't see it. You cannot fight God when he sends you into captivity and coming out with all this foolishness about conspiracies here and there. That's stupid. And then they shall know that I am the eternal, their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations. And he is the one raising people, raising nations, raising people, you know, the leaders here and there to do all these things. We don't have to worry about all these black uh, helicopters and all these foolish things that people are spreading around. Instead of seeing God in the picture, instead of knowing his scriptures and his word and what he's doing behind the scenes, they would rather go to superstition and foolishness and ignorance and deception. And so, he said, I'm the one that sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them, none of them, captive any longer. Any Israelite who is going to be alive at the coming of, of uh, the Savior and the Messiah is going to be brought back. He knows who they are. Even though they don't know who they are, he's going to make sure every single one of them going to be brought back. Verse 29, And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I, I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the eternal God. And so where is this lie for 2,000 years that the people of God, whom to begin with, people who are so ignorant, they think they're all Jews only, you know, from their point of view, they say, well, you're not Christians, you're all going to hell. Especially in the past. Now they don't say, say it as much as they used to. But many of them still do. Such blindness and ignorance. And many of them of all things that, you know, are children of Israel themselves. Blind and ignorant and think they are Gentiles. And many of them who had known who they are, are going back to it. To the vomit out of which they came. And they claim we're a Gentile church now. Mainstream. In chapter 40, we continue the story in verse 1. In the twenty-fifth year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after the city was captured, on the very same day, the hand of the Eternal was upon me, and he took me there. 
in the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel. Land of Israel, not land of Palestine. For those of you who don't know how to spell it. Land of Israel, and set me on a very high mountain. Only toward the south was something like the structure of a city. So God is now, that is Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel. In a vision, he brings Ezekiel into the future. So he's telling you very, very plain. He's going to bring my, my people back here. Gonna be a, I'm going to build a temple, and you're going to be involved in it, because you're going to be resurrected. And my people will be my wife, and I'm going to dwell right in their midst. That's what the church is all about. That's what the apostles knew. That's what they preached. Yet that's not what the false counterfeit religion preached. That totally distorted and twisted and misled people. And people in our midst are misled by that deception to this very day, unfortunately. And so, God is showing him the city. And then, you can read for the rest of the chapter, where God is going to talk about his city, and what is going to, and the way it's going to be built, and the measurements, and the court, and you know, the different parts of it. So, he's giving Ezekiel uh, uh, the blueprint, you might, you might say, of the temple. Because Ezekiel, when he's resurrected, is going to be in charge of all this construction of the so-called Ezekiel temple. And the Jews don't realize that because they think, well, Ezekiel died, he's in heaven, so this is just a metaphor. No, that's real. God is going to bring them back. And uh, he's going to bring them back, he's going to bring his people. He's going to restore his wife to himself. This time she's going to be without spot, without blemishes. And uh, verse, uh, let's jump to verse 46, because this is a lot of details about the temple itself. In verse 46 it says, uh, verse 45 actually, Then he said to me, This chamber which faces south is for the priests, who have charge of the temple. So the priesthood is going to be restored and renewed. And verse 46, The chamber which faces north is for the priests, who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, or Zadok, or the Sadducees, from the sons of Levi, who come near the Lord to minister to him. So you're going to read about a lot of the restoration of the temple, restoration of the sacrifices, restoration of the priesthood, and all to the wife of God, which is basically the majority of it is physical. Having the Holy Spirit now, many of them, but it's physical, flesh and blood, and then only some of them became spirit beings. So you find two levels here, as it always was. And that's what people don't understand. The church was always made of some who were spiritual and the rest were not. That's like in the days of the so-called New Testament. Some of the people of Israel became spiritual, received that is the Holy Spirit, and uh, were called by God, but the majority still were not. And yet they were all the church of God, the people of God, the wife of God. And chapter 41, uh, well actually let's jump to chapter 42, since we have a lot of details here about the temple itself, uh, and I think we should read it. Anybody who's interested in that, because that's going to be the future. It's going to be reality, and you read about it right now. And when you read it, you see the whole picture there, about the restoration of the people of God, the wife of God, the nation of God. And the Jews, of all people, though they are ignorant of their Savior, they're very much aware of all this knowledge, and they have never rejected it, speaking by the religious among them. And yet the others, of the children of Israel, who went into the false religion Christianity, on one hand they know about Christ, but on the other hand, they're totally mixed up about his teachings. 
and rejected his Torah to begin with. What a travesty among the, the people of God, the nation of Israel. And chapter 42, let's go to chapter 42 and jump to verse 13, where we read, Then he said to me, speaking about uh, God, the one that is Jesus Christ, later on, the north chambers and the south chambers, uh, which are opposite the separating courtyard, are the holy chambers where the priests who approach the eternal shall eat the most holy offerings. There they shall lay the most holy offerings, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering, for the place is holy. So, as God said, in the flesh, don't think that I came to destroy the Torah, which includes all these things, the sacrifices, the rituals, everything that was applicable uh, when a tabernacle is in existence or a temple. Don't think that I came to destroy it or destroy the words of the prophets. And we're reading now the words of the prophets. He says, don't think that I came to destroy it. And yet people say, yes, you did. So they call him a liar. And then they call themselves Christians, followers of Christ. And many in our midst are saying the same thing because of the deception you know, out of which they came and they brought with them a part of it. And so God is speaking to, to, uh, to Ezekiel to tell his wife, Israel, you know, to record all these things. And Christ made it very plain, not one jot or one tittle, you know. The tiniest little part of the law, of the Torah, is not going to pass away until all things be fulfilled. And then you begin to understand what he's talking about. But without a background of what he's talking about and what the apostles are talking about, people don't get it. That's why they're in Babylon and ignorant people. And anybody who just says, just give me the New Testament, I want to hear about the Old Testament, is in Babylon. He must come out of it. Verse 14. And when the priests enter them, they shall not go out of the holy chamber into the outer court, but there they shall leave their garments in which they minister, for they are holy. They shall put on other garments, then they may approach that which is for the people. Just like it was in the days when God erected the tabernacle in the, that is the, the sanctuary with the tent around it in the wilderness and then the temple. You know, business as usual. Because the Torah is not done away with, the teachings of the Torah are not done away with, the priesthood is not done away with, the sacrifices are not done away with. They all have a purpose. They don't provide atonement in the sense of purging the conscience. All made it very plain. They never meant to. Even David said that. You know, if you wanted offering sacrifices, I would have brought it to you. But it's not what you want. You want a clean heart, a broken heart. So that's nothing new that was being taught there. It's been there all along. And those who were spiritual, like David and others, always understood it. Moses knew it. They always knew that this is not what really purges the conscience, but this is a teaching method. And since the majority of the church is still physical at the coming of Christ, and going to be physical for the next thousand years, and only few of them being, you know, were made spirit beings, well, the church being physical still needs all these teaching lessons. And God never did away with them because there is a purpose for them. But he wants them to always know that he is the one that atones for their sin, not the sacrifice itself. And when people haven't studied the whole matter properly, they don't understand it. And so they think, well, you know, we are spiritual, we are you know, a New Testament church, we don't need it. That's only uh, for the, the physical. Well, here it is, the children of Israel who receive the Holy Spirit, they still do it. Just like all the apostles. Nobody ever told them to stop offering sacrifices. They continued until the end 
of the, of the temple until it was destroyed. They continued to go to the temple and bring offerings. And Paul, who supposedly is the founder of Christianity, you know, after Jesus Christ, as the Gentile church, you know, the false church considers him to be, he went to the temple. That was one of the last things he did. Brought an offering there, had the Nazarite vow, shaved his hair, and all that stuff. Because nothing was ever done away with. And so we should not be a part of, of, of deception, the Babylonian deception, and think that we are okay with God. Because when we come before God, if we continue to think that way, He will tell us like He tells the others. Hey, I don't even know you. You are lawless people. And many will come and say, Lord, Lord, we've done all those things in your name. And we should, you know, we don't want to be among those people. But if we are going to continue this way, we will be. And so God continues the story. In, uh, in verse, in chapter 43. And we read in chapter 43, verse 1. Afterwards he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east, and behold the glory of the eternal, of the God of Israel, that is, uh, came from the way of the east. This is Jesus Christ. This is where he dwells. That's his house, because that's his church, that's his people, that's his wife. Where else would he be? And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. That is the beginning, when God gave him commission, in essence, to proclaim the destruction of the city. Uh, that is 2,600 years ago. And verse 4, And the glory of the, of the Eternal came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. So now the city is already there and the temple is there. Of course, it's a vision, but it's a reality. Because for God, things which are not are, because that's the way he sees it. And he can bring it to pass any time. And we have to look at it always from his point of view. And that's why when he gave parables many times, he gave them as if they really happened, because he can bring them to pass any time he wants. In verse 5, the Spirit lifted me up, that means an angel, that's what it means, the Spirit lifted me up, because angels are called Spirit, and God is also called the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because He's holy in His Spirit, and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Eternal filled the temple. And then I heard Him speaking from the temple with a man uh, that stood by, uh, beside me, and He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, Remember what was his commission when he came? When Gabriel told Mary, Jesus Christ, he's going to be sitting on the throne of David and ruling over the house of Jacob forever, because that's the church. That's what he's saying here. That's what God is saying here. And he said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel for." Ever. So what do you come up with this new idea of New Testament church versus Old Testament church and they're two different entities? There's no such a thing. It's one church, one people. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name. They know their kings by their harlotry or with the carcasses of their kings on the high places. When they set their threshold by my threshold, that is, when they set their threshold, when they set foot, when they come to the temple, and their doorpost, by my doorpost, with the wall between them and me, they defile my holy name by the abominations which they have committed. Therefore I gave, I have consumed them in my anger. 
So speaking about you know the, the punishment that he brought upon them, he goes back and forth uh, in time because time is human element in one sense. Is, you know God is not bound by time. Verse nine. Now let them put their harlotry and their carcasses of their kings far away from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. Verse 10, Son of Man, describe the temple to the house of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and let them measure the pattern. So when he brings them back, the remnant of them, Ezekiel is going to be sitting there, and he's going to tell them about the, the measurement of the temple, and he's going to tell them exactly how to build it. And they're going to be ashamed of their religions, which they call Christianity, or Judaism, or any other religion that they, they had. And God called it abominations and iniquities. Because it was, you know, filled with error. Mixture of truth and error that became vomit to him. Verse 11, And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make them, may, you know, make known to them the design of the temple and its arrangement, its exits and its entrance. And so, in other words, describe the whole thing that I'm showing you here. Verse 12, This is the law of the temple, or the word in Hebrew is Torah. This is the Torah of the temple. You see, the word Torah is a generic term, but every Part of it is also called Torah. So within the Torah, there are many segments, and each one of them is called Torah. And you have to understand which one he's talking about. So when you come to the New Testament, when Paul speaks about, uh, about the law, people don't understand that sometimes he may be speaking about the law of sacrifices, about, about the law of marriage. That is the Torah of sacrifices, the Torah of marriage. And uh, he's not talking about the entirety of it. And so it's very important to understand that. And so God says this is the, the Torah of the temple, and tell the children of Israel if they are obedient. And let's go now to uh, verse 18. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the eternal God. That is, this is Jesus Christ speaking. These are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is made, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it, and for sprinkling blood on it. You shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are of the seed of Zadok, or Zadok, who approach me to, min- who approach me to minister to me, says the eternal God. You shall take some of its blood, and put it on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim around it. Thus you shall cleanse it and make an atonement for it. And at this one we shall stop. And again, this is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the worldwide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.